Would you please pray with me? <coughs> Lord, we relinquish this day unto you. We thank you that we have it to rest in you. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to receive from you and the power of your Holy Spirit what it means to be people of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would take our minds now by that Spirit and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to yours and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the third of our series in the Apostles' Creed, which is a wonderful statement of our faith, the most ancient of our faith, which succinctly and profoundly sums up what Christians have historically believed. We've spent a time in, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And learned through that message that, you know, we can't make God into what we want him to be. He is a mighty and awesome God. We learned last week in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, that he is the Lord who loves us with an everlasting love, laid it all down for us. And we have to respond. And today it's a short phrase. I believe in the Holy Spirit and that's all it says. So I thought, what text is best representative? And I thought, there's nothing better than going right to the Gospel of John in chapter 14 to discuss what happens to a believer when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to open up with me in your Bibles in John chapter 14. We used, last week, John's first six verses in John chapter 14 where Jesus told his disciples that he was going to a place that he would prepare for them and where they would live forever with him. And an awareness of that reality brings peace to troubled hearts. And in this continued second part of the conversation, Jesus uses almost identical words, if you notice, in verse 27. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither... Let them be afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, if we grasp the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, we will find calm confidence in our troubled world. For there's three things which the Holy Spirit does for the believer. One, the peace-giving character of the Holy Spirit. Two, the peace-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit. And three, the peace-giving power of the Holy Spirit. All right, That's where we're going this day. The peace-giving character, the peace-giving relationship, and the peace-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at this. First, the peace-giving character of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. There's a grammatical point that must be understood because it colors everything that follows in this message. In order to understand this point, there must be an understanding of the Greek term helper here. Another helper. Uh, two different Greek words can be translated another. There's the Greek word alos and the Greek word heteros. All right? uh, the difference, uh, alos here, means another of a same kind. Heteros means another of a different kind. It's like if I, you went apple picking with me yesterday. I went apple picking where, way out in Erie County. It was a beautiful day. And they were out of Honeycrisps. I was like, rats, they're out. I'm late. 
But the reality is, let's say we went out and I, I said, okay, I'm going to get everybody in the congregation some apples and we're going to get you honey crisps. But then, you know, I went to the orchard and I can only get a, a couple bushels, you know. And so therefore, some of you got honey crisps and for the rest of you, I gave you golden delicious. Okay. And I held up a honey crisp. I'm going to give you guys all a honey crisp apple. Well, the honey crisp would rep represent another of the same kind. And the hetero and the golden delicious would represent another of a different kind. And when Jesus uses, I will give you another helper, what he's saying is, I will give you another of the same kind. You with me? Because what's happening here, this Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. He's giving his peace to his disciples by assuring them that they do not need to be troubled at his leaving because he's giving them another helper just like him. So much so that Paul carries this in the book of Romans in 8, 9, in 8 verse 9 who calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Have you ever wished you could speak to Jesus face to face? You know, life would be so great if I could just speak to Jesus face to face. And you could share your deepest concerns and fears in his physical presence. You know, as he listens to you and gives you feedback. What would you ask him? What would you say to him? I don't know if it was me, I'd say, Lord, I, I thought I'd have this Christian thing figured out by now. You know? But I've never felt more messed up at times. What's the answer? Or, you know, I just, I just, I feel useless. Am I really making any difference in this world, oh Lord? I always seem to come up short. What's wrong with me? And I'm sure many of us would feel similar thoughts. You might have your own. But after such a meeting with Jesus, there's no doubt, face to face, we'd have our self-worth uh, substantiated, our security established, and our emptiness satisfied. That talk with Jesus would give us great peace and strength for the rest of our lives. But the logic of this text tells us that having the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is the same as having Jesus physically with us and even better. Imagine with me that Jesus never ascended. He just hung out in Jerusalem throughout the last 2,000 years. Let's just say you could go talk with him physically. You, all the planes would be booked. All the, the ship passages, would be, the cabins would be booked. All the trains of Europe and Asia to get you to Israel would be booked. And even if you could get there, there would probably be no way you could physically get near him in today's 2017 world. And even if you managed to get there, it would be impossible to get within an arm's reach. But for those who have humbled themselves, surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, received him as their Savior and Lord, always have access to God the Father in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's even better 
Because not only is the Holy Spirit just like Jesus, his function is to be our helper. Some translators, it's called the counselor. Some translations are the comforter. The Greek word to describe that is paraclete. Often meant the one who has legal counsel in court. Who argues the case and stood in someone's stead. It always contains the idea of encouragement. One who will shoulder the responsibility for another. You know, when my kids were little and they were learning to ride the bike, I tried to teach them how to ride the bike. Some of them beat me to it. They just learned, you know. But a few of them, you know, I tried to help and I tried to do so without having them get too hurt with too many scrapes and bruises, right? So first there'd be the training wheels, you know, and the steadying hands on the handlebars. Then would come the day, okay, you're big enough, you pop those training wheels off. Me or Kim would run alongside saying, pedal hard, pedal hard, pedal hard, pedal hard. Relax, keep your wheels straight, steady, you're doing great. Then boom, they fall over. <laughs> right? And then you'd pick them up, dust them off, and encourage them to try again. That's what the Holy Spirit does with us. Comes alongside of us, encourages us, holds us up, picks us up, dusts us off, and gets us going again just like a helper. Paul had such a helper in Titus and 2 Corinthians when his heart had become disheartened. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Imagine Titus coming alongside Paul and saying, Paul, so good to see you, my old friend. How's it going? Not very well, Titus, let me tell you. And, 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 and so he starts to talk to Paul. Lays out how things are struggling there in Corinth. And so Titus, I'm sure, said, let's pray, bro. Let's pray. And I'm sure after Titus shared some scripture with him, prayed with him, Paul began to feel better. And this gives us a picture of that kind of helper, like Titus to Paul, coming alongside of us. The Latin word advocatus is the word from which we get our English word advocate. And here, used in some Bible translations, the NIV, the RSV, say counselor. The Living Bible says comforter. ESV says helper. John Knox's translation said another friend for you. Isn't that beautiful? You see, if you're going through a difficult time right now, it's the work of of the Holy Spirit to come alongside you, to help you, to comfort you, to encourage and strengthen you, and to give you His peace, for that's the peace-giving character of God the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we have the peace-giving relationship with the Holy Spirit. Looking back at verse 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Not only does the Holy Spirit come alongside us and help us, he is in us as we are in Christ. He abides in us. And verse 23 expands that concept when he answered the other, other Judas not the Iscariot Judas. 
He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that fascinating? That God the Father and God the Son also reside in us. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus encouraged us not to be troubled because his person and place await us. Now he is saying, not, let not your hearts be troubled because I am making a place Within you. In fact, the word translated place in verse 2 and verse 23 are the exact same word. It's the Greek word mone. Jesus is preparing a place for us, but he also dwells within us. One of the most peace-giving facts of Christianity is that the helper not only comes alongside, but comes inside of us giving us his peace. One of the most devastating thoughts that anyone can ever entertain is, I'm all alone. When you think, I'm all alone, then comes self-pity, then comes the thought, no one cares. And those are very common feelings when you feel like you're all alone, but they're so unnecessary for the believer. Because in Christ, you are never alone. Students, you're never alone at school. Adults, we're never alone at work. You're never alone on the mission field as you're going to those places where you don't have a lot of support. You always have the Holy Spirit in you and with you. When when caring for a sick child, the believing parent is not alone. The Christian is not alone in the hospital facing his or her death. The Christian is not alone standing over a fresh grave of a loved one. Even when we do not feel God in Christ, He is within us. Much of the indwelling comfort comes by virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us, is, as verse 17 says, it is the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth indwelling us, allows us to begin to understand our inner self and to see and understand something about the course of the world about us. And because of that, we have peace. And we have comfort in our troubled hearts by reminding us of God's Word. Verse 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The unbeliever knows nothing of this. But the indwelling spirit brings the believer comprehension and thus peace. He brings before our troubled hearts the word of God and helps us abide, applies its peace to our lives. When believers stand in a hospital with those whose whole lives are caving in and the Holy Spirit brings to their remembrance the promises of God from the word of God, How wonderful is that peace? I've seen it over and over. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, literally fatherless. I will come to you. What he's speaking about is our adoption as people of God. That's why we chose Ephesians 1 to be read. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit coming to bring peace. It's the most healing Certainly the most assuring of all biblical doctrines. 
although the great doctrine of justification by faith through Christ alone, which we'll talk about at the end of the month, is the doctrine on which our faith stands or falls, the doctrine of our adoption through the Holy Spirit helps us relate to the Lord and apply the various aspects of that salvation to our lives. You know, I've spoken with people who've struggled with praying to God the Father. They'll pray to Jesus, but they, they struggle to pray to God the Father because of the failings of their earthly fathers. But when you recognize that you are adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit, and you see all that, it changes everything. It's a game changer. And I've seen it minister, the Holy Spirit minister to people's hearts when they grasp the position that they have in Jesus Christ by virtue of their adoption. That God is their father adopted by him. Paul House told me that there was a faculty member when Paul taught at Wheaton College in the Old Testament department that there was a fellow faculty member who had adopted a child. And on that legal document in the state of Illinois, it says that a natural parent can disown this child, but an adoptive parent cannot. That's who we are in Christ. The Christian life can only be understood in terms of our adoption. He will not leave us fatherless. And a couple chapters later, in verse 27 of chapter 16, Jesus assures us the Father himself loves you. God has fellowship with Jesus, and he has fellowship with us by virtue of our adoption, ladies and gentlemen. In 1 John 1, 3, John says, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Behold, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. We're his adopted children when Jesus promised, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he was speaking of the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit coming to our minds by the reality that we are his adopted children. He keeps us conscious. Even when we try to deny it, we're still God's children. And he will never let us go. That's the peace-giving relationship that we have by the Holy Spirit. So we have the peace-giving character, we have the peace-giving relationship, and finally we have the peace-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Verses 12, just go back a little bit to verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Because when we walk with Christ, he will ask us to perform things that are absolutely beyond our abilities. In World War II, in an American submarine, a submariner was stricken with an acute appendicitis. The nearest surgeon was thousands of miles away, yet pharmacist mate, pharmacist mate, Weller Lipes diagnosed that it was appendicitis, and he looked at this submariner and said, you know, I've watched doctors do it. I can do this. What do you say? 
Sailors said, well, I'm going to die, right? Yeah, if we don't operate, you're going to die. Well, let's go. Let's do it. In the wardroom, about the size of a Pullman drawing room, the patient was stretched out on a table beneath a, a simple floodlight. The mate and the assisting officers got in reverse pajama tops. They put gauze over their mouths, and the crew stood by the diving planes, keeping the submarine steady. The cook boiled water for sterilizing the instruments. A tea strainer served as an antiseptic cone. A broken-handled scalpel served as the operating instrument. Alcohol drained from the torpedoes was the antiseptic. Bent tablespoons served to keep the muscles open. And after cutting through layers of muscle, pharmacist mate Weller Lipes took 20 minutes to find the appendix. Two and a half hours later, as the last cat gut stitch was sewed and the final drop of ether wore out. Thirteen days later, the patient's just fine. Can you imagine? Now that was an especially magnificent act because the surgery was not done by a trained surgeon in a modern operating room, even by World War II standards, but rather by a relatively untrained man under the most difficult conditions. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we do the same works as Jesus. And there is a sense in which they are greater works than his because of the humble weakness of our instruments. You might think, Lord, I can't do it. That's crazy. Oh, yes, you can. Kent Hughes states, the same power through Jesus brought regeneration and life to many flows through us. The same wisdom that brought healing to the most fragmented relationships is operable in us. The same miraculous love that brought life to impossible situations resides in us through the Holy Spirit. So the applicable question is, are we filled with this Spirit? Jesus describes such a person in the Beatitude as blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, present tense. To be poor in spirit, to be filled with the spirit, is to be impoverished in spirit. Meaning, there's a posture of humility before God. That I come with my hands empty, bringing no works, nothing to the table, and saying, Lord, I'm yours surrendering unto him. And Jesus says such a life is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Friends, I want you to know that these words that Jesus is speaking about in John chapter 14 and in Matthew chapter 5, being filled with the spirit and being poor in spirit of our huge and incalculable importance to the church of Jesus Christ today. And I say that for this reason. There are many people who would assume themselves to be Christian who know very little joy 
and blessedness that Jesus is talking about in this passage. For they have experienced none of the spiritual poverty and filling of the Spirit of which Jesus is speaking here. And I think that this barrenness and loss is multiplied in our day here in 2017 and in our culture, especially because we're surrounded by a form of faith that is unrecognizably different from what is laid out for us in the Scriptures. As Christians, we rejoice in the reality that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and therefore justified. And that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, Romans 5, verse 1. But why is it that a believer is justified? What is it about faith as opposed to any works that we do or anything else that brings a person into a place where they're in right standing with God? The answer is this. In the Bible, a believer is justified by faith because it unites a person to Jesus Christ who justifies and sanctifies and glorifies because of the believers through the trust and the shed blood applied to them personally by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit within them. But friends, the last 75 years in our culture, there's been, this has been replaced by a mere belief, a, a intellectual assent to a collection of facts, now, friends, simply believing in Jesus Christ will not save. And it will not change you at all. And if we're not changing, we don't have salvation. If we're not growing, we don't have salvation. And this power of the Holy Spirit changes us. It moves us. And we never stay the same. And the culture sees it. And the culture sees it when you don't. If you just say... I admit I'm a sinner. Well, so what? The culture admits that they're sinners. I can get anybody at Jake's. The cooks in the back admit they're sinners. Trust me, I've talked to those guys. Anybody can admit they're a sinner. But when you meet Jesus Christ, we're called to repent and believe. And when repentance is that belief combined with a 180-degree turn running back to the cross with complete surrender. And Jesus Christ changes us. And the Holy Spirit makes us new. And he takes us as we are. That's grace. And he changes us. And that's grace. He never leaves us as we are. But in our day, we have thousands of people who accept Jesus Christ because mom and dad want them to. And therefore they, you know, get baptized, they, you know, accept Christ, you know, as if anything is acceptable to them. And they get confirmed, but never come to the place of surrendering their lives or bowing to his lordship over their lives. Without ever experiencing the character, the relationship, and the power of the Holy Spirit within them. And that's a form of faith that's unrecognizable in the scriptures. And when the world sees that, they despise it. But when the world sees the real thing, it's compelling. When they see a changed life, they sit up and pace notice. Because we're called to repentance. Not just admitting that I'm a sinner. 
Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while I may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, there's a returning. There's a forsaking. There's a, there's a change in the life. We leave it. We turn from it. And Paul says in his second letter to Timothy 2.19, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Here's the mark of those who are His. Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's impossible for us to know God and to be filled with the Spirit of God and not change. But when we do, when a person receives from that posture of humility and full surrender and receive Christ, Jesus gives them this peace by the Holy Spirit. Peace I leave with you. My own peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. These words are nearly identical with with the ones in which he began the chapter. He's preparing a place for us. And when you're in Christ, that's what you have to look look forward to. That's our future. But better than even that is that we have him with us now. We receive the present benefits during our present difficulties in life. We have the same power that Jesus exercised, in a sense, even in a greater way. Because the Holy Spirit is our helper who comes alongside us, encourages us, exhorts us, picks us up, dusts us off, gets us going again, and calls us to impossible tasks for his glory. So it makes perfect sense for our Lord to say, peace I give to you, my own peace I give to you. The same peace that the Lord Jesus had is ours. Don't you want that? Really? Really? If you're the same as you were in 1947, 57, 67, 77, 87, 97, 2007, you don't have it. But you can. May we be those who admit that we got nothing before him. That we to repent and believe and surrender everything because in Jesus Christ we see the beautiful character of God. We see the relationship that we can have with God and through the Holy Spirit we can have a peace that surpasses understanding and a power to live the life he's called us to live. For those of us who have placed in trust, and we are growing, and we're not the same person since 1947, praise be to God, let's keep growing. Let's keep changing. Conformed into His image, not ours. But if you've been struggling, turn it over. Let's walk with Him. Change forever. And allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us for His glory, because that's what He does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for drawing us by your Holy Spirit to your beautiful Son. And if there be any among us here this morning who really have just merely admitted that they're sinners but never surrendered to you, 
with that posture of humility and turning their lives over to you completely, that this would be the day that that occurs. Bring that reformation and revival in each and every one of us, O Lord. And that Lord Jesus, the indwelling presence of the Spirit, would give us more joy and peace than anything this world can ever provide for us. Lord, we confess that we're sinners, and we give you our lives to do with as you wish. And we pray that you would help us to walk in accordance with the Spirit and not our own flesh. Illumine and enlighten our minds to that reality. Reveal to us the beautiful truth of the Scripture and lead us out of darkness into the way of Jesus. Make us a righteous, faithful, and loving people by your faith, hope, and love. And Holy Spirit, come and fill us and live in and through us and give us a perseverance never to let us depart from this truth. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.